Ahab wants to have the vineyard in verse 2 as a, a vegetable garden uh, because it's near to him. Evidently, um, this Ahab was down in Samaria and he's aware that Naboth has this vineyard next to his summer home or his winter home. And so he tries to make a deal with him. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. This account begins as a simple attempted real estate transaction. Ahab wanted the vineyard near his royal house in Jezreel so that he might have it as a vegetable garden. He was willing to trade for the land or to pay for it. Naboth's response was an emphatic no. His rejection of the otherwise reasonable offer was rooted in the ancient Israelite idea of the land. They believed that the land was an inheritance from God, parceled out to individual tribes and families according to his will. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 21 in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter uh, 21 going to look at chapter 21 this evening. It's not a really long chapter, and but before we get into chapter 21, just going to recap chapter 20, but first let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you again for this place, Lord. You've been so faithful to us. Lord, you've always uh, have blessed us when we have gathered together, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for our hearts tonight that as we, as we read of these things, Lord, and Lord, that it wouldn't just be something that is interesting or something historical, but Father, may you reveal to us, Lord, some lessons from this tonight. And, and, and Lord, that we would leave change. Uh, and so have your way with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, if you remember, last week we looked at chapter 20, where Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, came uh, against uh, the northern ten tribes, otherwise known as Israel, or you might even see it uh, called Ephraim, because the largest tribe of the northern ten tribes was Ephraim. So whenever you see in the prophets where it talks about Israel, or it talks about um, Ephraim, it's talking about that northern uh, ten tribes that had fallen into idolatry. And whenever it speaks of Judah, it's speaking of Judah and Benjamin and the southern two tribes. Okay, so just keep that in in mind. So Ben-Hadad, this king of Assyria, which is to the north of Israel... Uh, They come, and uh, Ben-Hadad brings 32 other kings with him. No doubt these men were from other neighboring towns under his jurisdiction. They come down, and they besiege Samaria. 
And the king of Syria says to Ahab, this wicked king who we've been looking at, he says, um, you know, your silver and your gold are mine, and your loveliest wives and children are mine. And Ahab, realizing that he's probably outnumbered and outgunned, he, he kind of caves into this and says, okay, you know, I'm your, I'm your servant, and come and take it, you know. And, um, and he comes back again with more messengers and demands even more, and, uh, and it creates this. Um, and then Ahab reaches out to the elders of Israel, and they kind of instill within him a little bit of confidence, and he rebuts the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. And Ben-Hadad says, you know, I'm coming after you. And, um, and, and suddenly a prophet, uh, we don't know who this prophet is, if it was Elijah or if it was Elisha or some other prophet, the Bible would tell us, but it doesn't tell us who it is. So a prophet comes and basically tells King Ahab, this wicked king, tells him, don't worry, I'm going to deliver Syria into your hands. And that's certainly an encouragement. And so uh, they muster an army, and uh, they do. They uh, defeat the Syrians, and a prophet comes after this battle, after Israel is victorious. Now, in the back of your mind, always be thinking, why would God deliver Israel when they are in this wicked idolatry? Well, you're going to find out something about Ahab You've probably already learned a little bit about him, but tonight we're going to learn a little bit more about this man. He wasn't, although he was wicked and worthy of judgment, there was something in him that, uh, there was some humility in him that God saw and it pleased the Lord. And we're going to see that that's going to actually work to his benefit later on, even though he's a wicked king. And and that just reminds me of that verse where it says, uh, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. Because even in the most wicked of people, when God sees a heart that is willing to bend and willing to, and and there's something in them that that understands and, and, and bows their knee, however much that is, God will work with that. He'll work with that. And he wants to fan that flame, and he wants to encourage whatever is there. And see, that's the way God is. You and I aren't like that. In the natural, when somebody has wronged us twice, maybe three times, we're like, you know what? You do it three times, you know, and I'm not going to let you do it again. And we have a very different outlook, but God has a very different outlook on people. And that really challenges me, because... In our world today, we're surrounded by difficulties and enemies, and it's important that we keep our hearts in a right place. And as I'm pointing those fingers at you, saying that, oh wait, there's three on each hand pointing back at me, so I guess I need to listen to this too. And it's true, I, I need to listen to this. But God saw something in Ahab, and God wasn't just going to just pounce on this guy and just pound him into the dust because of his idolatry and his evil wife. God was going to have his way, and they ultimately would be condemned and judged, but God gave them, especially Ahab, He was of the two people, Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab, there was something, a little spark in him. But nonetheless, God gives them this victory over Syria, which is really unusual. And then a prophet comes to the king of Israel, to Ahab, and says, well, you better go strengthen yourself because they're going to come back next season. 
They're going to come back. They're going to go back and look at their battle plans, and they're coming back because the, the, the Syrians said uh, about God that, that God was the God of the hills, and therefore they were stronger than we, but if we fight them in the plain, they won't have any chance. And so uh, they do certainly come back in the spring of the year, and Ben-Hadad did that very thing, tried to get all of his chariots in the plain and overwhelm Israel, thinking that their God was just a God of the hills, but not of the God of the whole earth. By the way, that's the truth about God. He's the God of all the earth, not just the hills and the the valleys and the plains. He's... uh, He's pretty much got it all covered, amen? (laughs) And so they are thinking that they're going to be victorious this time, and God tells them again that he is going to deliver them into their hand, and certainly he does. And they have this battle at Aphek, and uh, a big wall falls on several thousand of the men, and Ben-Hadad flees into an inner chamber, and Ahab finally brings him out. And instead of extinguishing this man, which is what he should have done, What God wanted him to do, he doesn't do that. Instead, he tries to make a treaty with him. And God even says to him through a prophet, uh, he says to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. And so the king, notice, was sullen when he heard this and displeased and he came to Samaria. And so that's where we are going into this thing. But notice the, the humility of Ahab. You, you, you didn't see this kind of guy puffing out his chest and going, well, well I'll prove him, you know, which is the, na- the nature of man, isn't it? When God says, I want you to do something and you've been uh, spanked a little bit or you've been uh, corrected, it either goes one of two ways. You're either going to get bitter or you're going to get better. And if you get bitter, you're going to put out your chest and, and tell God that you're going to do, you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. And he goes, okay, see how that works for you. Or we can just submit to God, which is a very good thing. I would encourage you all, including myself, to do that. But let's read through chapter 21, then we'll come back and look at it. Notice what it says. So after, and it came to pass after these things. So clearly the things I just shared with you in chapter 20, a synopsis, after those things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, next to the place of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its money, and you know, its money's worth. And so... Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. And so Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased. Notice this again. He, 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 a very interesting fellow, you know, this king. He, he seems to have a, a soft heart, and he's not just going to take vengeance. So I, I just got to bring that out. It's very interesting. Uh, so Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, and he turned away his face, and would eat no food. But Jezebel, but Jezebel, underline that, but Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? 
And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And then Jezebel's wife said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth with high honor among the people, and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. And then take him out and stone him that he may die. And so the men of the city, the elders and the nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had, had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. And they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, saying, Naboth, against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. And then they took him outside of the city, stoned him with stones so that he died. And then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give to you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but he's dead. And so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that he got up and went down and took possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Then the Lord, while you're at it, you might want to underline that word, that phrase. Then the Lord, the word of the Lord, came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise and go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. And so Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebad, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was none like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so it was, when Ahab heard those words, that, notice again, he tore his clothes, and he put sackcloth on his body, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went about mourning 
And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Pretty interesting, isn't it? You know, just this evil man, and, and yet there's a spark, there's a little an ember of, of humility, and God is willing to work with that. Never forget that. I, I just, I marvel at the grace of God. I marvel at the grace of God. And so, let's go back to verse 1 here. So, uh, after these things, and, and certainly this means that after God had uh, reprimanded Ahab through the prophet, and uh, because of his unwillingness to destroy Ben-Hadad, uh, while he had him under, under his control, after these things, after God's judgment was spoken to him, that he came to pass that Naboth, a Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel. Now Jezreel is in the northern part of Israel, just uh, southwest uh, of the Sea of Galilee. But north of uh, Samaria, the capital city of the northern ten tribes. That the Samaria was the home of uh, Ahab, and just north and a little bit uh, west was this other place, his summer or winter residence perhaps, in Jezreel. It was right there in the valley of Armageddon. If you've been to Israel with us and you've been on Mount Carmel and you've looked down uh, at that, or Carmel, excuse me, Carmel, that's the way they say it in Penfield, Mount Carmel. But uh, in Israel, they say Carmel. El, it means God, right? Okay, so, uh, so he's got this other house, this winter house up in Jezreel, right there on the edge of the plain of this valley of Armageddon, otherwise known as the Jezreel Valley. And so this is where it is all happening. And, and, and so Ahab wants to have the vineyard, in verse 2, as a, a vegetable garden, uh, because it's near to him, evidently, um, this Ahab was down in Samaria, and he's aware that Naboth has this vineyard next to his summer home, or his winter home, and so he tries to make a deal with him, and he wanted it to be convenient, right next to his residence. I mean, a vineyard is the livelihood of most of these people, and, and Ahab, interestingly enough, it wants to have herbs and a little vegetable garden so he can have a nice salad with his steak at night, uh, whatever it is. But, um, but it sounds like, uh, it seems evident that Ahab wanted to possess the land for good and not give it up in the year of Jubilee. And we'll speak more of that in a minute because uh, it'll make sense uh, why there is this problem. Uh, but there's always a danger, isn't there, when somebody in authority, uh, in a position of authority, tries to use that authority for their own personal means. And, and we see this in the life of Ahab and Jezebel. They, they're using their authority uh, to, uh, for their own personal gain. And it's, it's something that everyone needs to be careful of uh, because really what was happening here is Ahab was coveting this man's property. You know, it's right next to his palace or his winter residence, and he's looking out over the edge, and he's going, "Wow, that's that's really nice. It'd be really convenient for uh, to build something here, and I can just go out and pl- pick the cucumbers and all of those things." And so, in, instead of just, wouldn't the nice thing to do just to go to him and say, "Hey, can I um, can I pay you for some of the produce, or can we even take a little portion of it off, and and I'll pay you?" And 
you know, maybe pay the men to bring in the, the fruits or the whatever, the, the vegetables. But he doesn't do that. He wants the whole thing. He wants the whole thing. And so he's coveting this man's thing. And we know that in Exodus, that covetousness is a sin, isn't it? I mean, didn't God tell uh, the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given to us, that you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's? And what does Colossians tell us? That covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is wanting something so bad that you're willing to do anything to get it. And here's a really great example because he wanted it so bad. Actually, I think if his wife wasn't in the picture, he probably would have been safe. But there was enough evil in his heart and his wife had primed him and, and, and used him so much and her heart was to rule over him. And it became something that they would do anything to get, even if it meant killing a man. And such is the nature of man. You want something that bad, you're willing to do anything to get it, and that's what idolatry is. Covetousness is idolatry. And there's nothing wrong, and I've often thought about this, and maybe you have too, when you think about something that you enjoy and you really like, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things and liking things. Even liking things and taking care of those things. I mean, it's, it's a good thing not to let it become an idol to us, right? But there's nothing wrong with liking something and taking good care of it. That, that's stewardship. But it becomes a problem when I can't do, I'll do anything to keep that thing. In other words, my relationship with God can be jeopardized for this one thing, whatever it is. I'm not going to give it up. It's like, this, it's like the ring with Gollum. You know, he, he's got the ring and it's as precious and, you know, and it's the thing, he, he's always got to know where it is. That's the way it was and that's the way it can be with us too and so it's always good to be careful. And that's why I love the Bible, I love the honesty of the Word of God because it doesn't let us get off scot-free. It's through these things, God wrote, he allowed his Word to be written such that it would be for our nurture and our admonition. It's supposed to be our schoolmaster, our tutor. And every one of these attitudes that we see, they're written here because this is human nature. This is man at his best in his fallen nature. And yet God says, well, that's all fine and good. Actually, it's not fine and good. You need to be born again. And see, that's the whole process and the whole Doctrine of redemption. That's what the Bible's all about. It's a book of redemption from beginning to end. From the law being lost in the garden to the salvation at the very end. It's, it's a book of redemption. And so it's wonderful to see ourselves in these characters. And if you resemble any of these traits, any of these things, or maybe you have in, in a certain time of your life, maybe your thing was... Uh, Whatever, bikes, you know, motorcycles, cars, uh, whatever it can, can be, and it, those things can be an idol to you. And maybe in a former life, meaning several decades ago, maybe you were one of those people. We have to be careful. That covetousness will turn to idolatry, because that's what it is. It's idolatry. But notice in verse 3, 
Naboth said to Ahab, I, I, Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father. See, the property, Naboth's property doesn't only belong to him, but it belongs to his family, his tribe that he belongs to as an inheritance. Turn with me, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 25. Or if you want to, just write this reference off on the side of your Bible. And, and I'll read it. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of First Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585 If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.